Hello, thank you for listening to a Rapid ONG for Medical Students. My name is Dr Helen Stevenson and I'm joined today by Professor Justin Clark to discuss the treatment of heavy menstrual bleeding. So we learnt in the last podcast what heavy menstrual bleeding is and how we diagnose the potential causes. Professor Clark, I remember you saying that most often there isn't an apparent structural pathology. If there isn't any pathology found, how do we treat these women? Well, we start off by explaining that there is no abnormal pathology, and then we ascertain what her expectations are. Some women do not seek treatment but just want an explanation for their symptoms and some reassurance that nothing is seriously wrong. We discussed last time that fertility considerations are important to understand because many available hormonal treatments for heavy periods are contraceptive, and some surgical options may preclude future fertility. For women desiring for treatment, we usually start by discussing medical options. So what are the medical options? Well, medical treatments can be categorised as either hormonal, which are also usually contraceptive, or non-hormonal. Non-hormonal treatments tend to cause less side effects compared with hormonal therapies, so are a good initial option, especially for women who do not need contraception. So tell us more about these non-hormonal medical treatments. Well, tranexamic acid is an antifibrinolytic drug, so it works by inhibiting plasminogen activation and breakdown of blood clots. It can reduce the amount of menstrual bleeding by up to 50%. The other non-hormonal treatments are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, such as methanamic acid or ibuprofen, which reduce the amount of bleeding by about 30%. This group of drugs works by inhibiting the production of the prostaglandins, which are thought to be involved in local uterine hemostasis. They are also anti-inflammatory and provide analgesia, so can be useful to treat coexistent menstrual pain. Tranexamic acid and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs can be taken alone or in combination during menstruation. So now what about the hormonal treatments? The levonorgestrel-releasing intrauterine system, more commonly called the Mirena coil, is the most effective medical treatment for heavy menstrual bleeding and is recommended by NICE as first-line medical treatment. The Mirena is a type of long-acting reversible contraceptive. In essence, it is a medicated plastic intrauterine coil that releases the progesterone hormone levonorgestrel over five years in a tiny metered dose. The endometrium is rendered inactive through downregulation of estrogen and progesterone receptors, reducing the menstrual blood flow and providing effective contraception. It is locally acting and only small amounts of the hormone are absorbed into the circulation, so systemic hormonal side effects are minimal. Its main adverse effect is irregular bleeding, which normally subsides within six months. The device is changing every five years, but can be easily removed earlier if women cannot tolerate the side effects or require their fertility. So then the Mirena coil would be the first-line treatment. What are the other hormonal treatments we can use? The other common hormonal treatment used for heavy periods is the combined oral contraceptive pill. This contains the hormones estrogen and progesterone. As with the Mirena, continuous progestogenic opposition to estrogen suppresses endometrial proliferation, reducing menstrual bleeding. It can also help regulate menstrual cycles by inducing scheduled monthly withdrawal bleeds. The combined pill is a very effective contraception because by acting on the hypothalamo-pituitary-ovarian axis, it prevents ovulation. If neither the Mirena coil nor the combined uh, oral contraceptive pill are suitable, then systemic progesterone-only treatments that will induce endometrial atrophy can be considered. Routes of administration include oral tablets, depot injections or an implant. Where endometrial hyperplasia is diagnosed, progesterone treatment either locally with the Mirena or systemically with oral tablets is indicated to reverse the hyperplastic process. Are hormonal treatments suitable for all women with heavy periods? I've heard there can be serious side effects with them. You're right to raise this. Safety and patient tolerance are of paramount importance. Hormonal treatments are widely used and very safe. However, some types of hormonal treatment may be contraindicated in certain women, and that is why it's important to take a thorough history. 
For example, the estrogen-containing combined oral contraceptive pill should not be given to women with a high risk of venous thromboembolism or arterial vascular disease. So if estrogen release from the ovaries is causing the endometrium to thicken and leading to the heavy periods, do we sometimes use treatments that can stop oestrogen from being produced? Well, yes, there are a group of pharmaceutical agents called gonadotrophin-releasing hormone analogues, or GNRH analogues for short, and they do just that. They act on the hypothalamopituitary ovarian axis to stop ovarian activity and are usually given intramuscularly. However, they are not recommended beyond six months because a lack of oestrogen causes menopausal side effects, such as hot flushes, and they can induce osteoporosis, that thinning of the bones. They are most used prior to surgery to stop bleeding and correct anemia, as well as shrink fibroids, which are estrogen-dependent benign uterine tumours we learnt about in part one of this podcast. A new drug called ulipristal acetate has recently been licensed for use in treating heavy bleeding associated with fibroids. The drug is part of a group called a selective progesterone receptor modulator, it is likely that this class of drugs will play an increasingly important role in medical management of heavy periods, but more research is required. So that's the medical options. You also mentioned surgery. What are the indications for surgery? In general, surgery is indicated when medical treatments have failed to adequately treat symptoms or for significant uterine pathologies, such as polyps and submucous fibroids, multiple large fibroids, or serious endometrial diseases like atypical endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial cancer. What are the surgical options for treatment? Well, the surgical options depend upon the presumed pathology contributing to the heavy bleeding. For example, focal intrauterine pathologies, such as polyps or fibroids, can be removed using an operative hysteroscope. These are specially designed telescopes that are inserted into the uterine cavity to visualise the lesions and remove them using electrosurgical or mechanical energy. In addition to the presumed pathology, a woman's fertility needs must be taken into account. So then if a woman wants to retain her fertility, what sorts of surgery can be performed then? Well, the hysteroscopic procedures I just mentioned are suitable in the presence of relevant pathologies as the uterus remains intact. Significant uterine fibres can also be removed without removing the uterus, and this operation is known as a myomectomy. Indeed, this operation is used to try and improve underlying fertility in women with fibroids and no other explanation for being able to conceive. Women considering myomectomy need to be aware that there is a small risk, estimated to be about 1%, that a hysterectomy, that's an operation to remove the uterus, will be required if intractable heavy bleeding occurs during surgery. What about the women who have completed their families or don't desire future fertility? What surgery can we offer them? Well, in the absence of structural uterine pathology, an endometrial ablation is a good minimally invasive surgical option. In this procedure, a small device is inserted through the cervix into the uterine cavity, which destroys, or rather ablates, the endometrium through the application of thermal energy. So basically it cooks the lining of the womb? In essence, yes. Thermal destruction of the endometrium can be achieved using operative hysteroscopes or semi-automated devices. These technologies deliver electrical or microwave energy, or deliver heat via hot water balloons, free-circulating heated saline, or by cryoablation, that's freezing. In a normal period, the superficial endometrium is shed. The idea of an endometrial ablation is to remove the basal layers of the endometriums where endometrial regeneration takes place under the influence of oestrogen. This procedure treats menstrual symptoms in about 80% of women. If this doesn't work, then we offer a hysterectomy. You use the term minimally invasive. It doesn't sound particularly nice. Well, what we mean by the term is rapid recovery. Uh, the procedures are carried out as day cases with or without general anaesthetic and resumption of normal activities and return to usual activities takes only a few days. In contrast, myomectomy or hysterectomy often require a few days in hospital and a few weeks to recover. The risks associated with endometrial ablation are also small compared to hysterectomy. They include pelvic infection or perforation of the uterus, which can lead to damage to surrounding structures such as the bowel. 
and the procedure prevents future pregnancies as well. Unfortunately, that's not true. It is true that removing the endometrium fertility is dramatically reduced and may in fact be negated. And so it is important that women undergoing the procedure have no future fertility plans. However, despite our best efforts, part of the endometrium may be left untreated or regenerate, and so women should be advised to continue with some form of contraception. So when would a hysterectomy be considered? In general, hysterectomies discussed where uterine sparing surgeries such as endometrial ablation and myomectomy have failed, or where medical treatments have failed and women do not want to consider other types of surgery. Less commonly, hysterectomy is offered as a first-line treatment, for example, where there are large uterine fibroids causing bulk-related pressure symptoms or pre-malignant endometrial disease, namely atypical endometrial hyperplasia, or more rarely, frank endometrial carcinoma. But isn't a hysterectomy a major operation? Increasingly, surgical removal of the uterus is performed without the need for a laparotomy, such that morbidity is minimised and recovery more rapid. A hysterectomy can be performed vaginally, laparoscopically, Laparoscopically, that's keyhole surgery, or using a transverse bikini line abdominal incision, or sometimes a midline incision. The route chosen will depend upon the size of the uterus and other patient factors, such as the presence of intra-abdominal adhesions. So for hysterectomies, the surgical removal of the uterus, does that mean the cervix, the tubes and the ovaries are also removed? That's a good question. If the uterus included in the cervix is removed, this is termed a total hysterectomy. A subtotal hysterectomy, sometimes termed a suprasurvical hysterectomy, is when the uterine body is removed but the cervix is left in situ. This can only be achieved via abdominal or laparoscopic approaches. A subtotal hysterectomy is a slightly simpler operation, although there do not appear to be any clear benefits to the patient of retaining the cervix. The fallopian tubes are normally removed in total and subtotal hysterectomies. What about the ovaries? Well, the rationale for considering oophorectomy, that's removal of the ovaries, is to minimise any subsequent risk of ovarian cysts and cancer. However, this potential benefit has to be weighed against inducing a surgical menopause, such that hormone replacement therapy will be required to prevent menopausal symptoms. We do not generally remove the ovaries in women aged under 45 or younger in the absence of perimenopausal symptoms, premalignant or malignant endometrial disease, ovarian cysts or a propensity to ovarian disease. In older women with heavy menstrual bleeding, the decision whether to remove the ovaries should be individualised. So where treatment for heavy menstrual bleeding is needed, we've got a range of hormonal and non-hormonal medical treatments, as well as options for surgical procedures according to the underlying etiology and the fertility wishes of the woman. That's a nice summary. There is, however, one more intervention we have not discussed, and this is a radiological treatment for symptomatic uterine fibroids. The procedure is called uterine artery embolisation and is performed by an interventional radiologist. They make a small puncture in the femoral artery and then thread a catheter along it towards the uterine arteries. Once correctly sighted, embolisation particles are injected down the catheter to occlude the arterial blood supply to the fibroid. The procedure is particularly useful in women who want to preserve their fertility or have contraindications to surgery for uterine fibroids such as high body mass index or a history of open surgery.